Welcome to the Your Own Food Coach podcast. My name is Pamela Kelly. I'm a registered dietitian and licensed nutritionist in practice for 25 years. We have created this podcast to have a conversation to explore the world of food, nutrition, health, and body image together. You have come to the right place. This is episode 14, Food, Sense, and Sensibility, Why We Suffer with Food Allergies and Sensitivities. I'm going to start with a quote from a line from Titus Lucretius Cato, quote, What is food to one to another is rank poison. Think about that. What is food to one to another is rank poison. It appears that some understanding of strong food reactions occurred even 2,000 years ago. And this leads me to the topic today. The episode that we're looking at is on food allergies and sensitivities and the difference between those two and then a little bit of history about food-mediated problems in our health today. So after this brief introduction into food allergies, I am so excited that I'm going to include a very special guest today on our podcast, who I'm going to introduce in a minute. But first, a little background. There has been a remarkable change in understanding food allergies in the last 30 years. Many of you were raised in a generation, maybe just a generation ago, that recall rarely, if ever, hearing about someone with a peanut allergy or an egg allergy or shellfish, etc. And the idea and terminology of food sensitivity or food intolerance was essentially unknown. The presence of pediatric food allergies went from 0.3% to 10% in the last 30 years. And anaphylactic food-related emergencies were basically unheard of and now account for the number one reason for ER visits related to anaphylactic shock and symptoms. 30 years ago, there might at best have been four or 500 scientific articles on food allergies. And in 2016, there were over 1,200 scientific articles about food allergies and intolerance. And it's not just in the United States. Australia, interestingly, has the highest rate of confirmed food allergies, and the United Kingdom has a five-fold increase in peanut allergies. Something's going on. So what happened? An adverse food reaction results in a body reaction shortly after consuming a food. A toxic reaction occurs in any individual who is exposed to a sufficient quantity, while a non-toxic reaction depends on the individual's susceptibility and may be immune-mediated. That means an allergy or non-immune-mediated, and that means a food intolerance. So mediation just means immediate. So if you have a, a toxic um, immunity issue, that means that it is an immediate response. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've eaten something, you've had that kind of response. My guest and I are going to discuss that more in a minute. A non-mediated means it's not going to happen quickly. The result of a reaction can be quite broad, and it really depends on the organism that might be involved. So typically in a reaction, it occurs in the skin usually itchy, hives, skin rashes, etc. 
It's felt in the lungs, coughing, wheezing, sneezing, and contraction in the esophagus. In the GI tract, bloating, cramping, nausea, diarrhea. And in the cardiovascular system, rapid heart rate, flushing, hypotension, which is low blood pressure and dizziness. And then on a cellular level, including like metabolic and metallic tastes in the mouth. The prospect of having this kind of occurrence leads to a very understandable food fear, frustration, and a tendency to even want to isolate or only eat at home to control the foods that you ingest. The trust in the food supply or in the person serving the food could be really complicated. And I can say from a personal experience as one who's allergic to shellfish, I've had a very, very scary reaction to that. And I will tell you that As it's happened more in my life, it's gotten worse. So I think most of us would agree that if you have any kind of complicated relationship with a systematic response to food, you need to continue to listen today. This can be a really difficult and for some overwhelming way to live life. Imagine someone having a complicated relationship with food already It's highly recommended that any elimination of a a suspected food allergen or food sensitivity be done, but that it needs to be navigated with a good nutrition professional that's an expert in this field. I myself actually consult with LEAP therapists. They are specially trained to deal with and identify life-threatening food allergies. This is not to be taken lightly. So a a recent client came to me and she had severe weight loss because she basically had eliminated everything. It took months of working with her to gain her trust to begin to slowly add back foods and to do so in a calm and non-threatening manner. You can only imagine taking a bite of food that you might think might be an actual threat to your life. That alone produces anxiety, let alone enough to cause GI stress. I'm happy to report that there are some foods she can't eat, and it's real clear. It's dairy and shellfish. But the other foods she was actually able to gradually bring back into her diet. It was a humbling experience for me to sit with her during her food fear of that one bite. She was so scared. So there's two classes of food allergies. The first is class one. And typically you can think of that as like a peanut allergy or a milk allergy. The response is immediate. And the response is either anaphylactic reaction or it's straight through the gut or it's both. This is often called a classical or true allergy. And it's usually diagnosed early in life and it's life-threatening. Class 2 allergens are from a different source, such as weed or grass pollen, and they cross-react with respect to a particular food in the same family. I'm going to explain just a little bit about this. Usually, these allergens from Class 2s are prevalent in adolescents and adults, and it's usually a little bit more mild, but still very uncomfortable. And there's an interesting crossover that can happen from pollen and in the environment. And a few examples of this would be like birch pollen. If you're allergic to birch pollen, most likely you have a sensitivity to peach and apple and pear, hazelnut and almond. If you're sensitive to ragweed, then it's possible that you have a sensitivity to banana, cucumber, watermelon and zucchini. 
mugwort is connected to celery, carrot, green pepper, and garlic. So you might have something and just assume it's because you've got quote-unquote seasonal allergies, but it might be deeper than than that. Or it could be that you can eat bananas or cucumbers just fine, but when ragweed season comes, you find that it makes it much, much worse. The list is extensive, and again, please don't self-diagnose. Get professional help and a specialist when you can. Cooking foods help, except in the case of nuts, and certainly during those allergy seasons, the food effects are going to be even more intense. Some people have a threshold of tolerance to certain foods, and I have a client who can eat a suspect food as long as it's not more than once or twice a week. There's a difference between a sensitivity, a food intolerance, and an allergy. And what I like to say is, if you have an immune response, E, that means it's immediate and an emergency, and it has to be dealt with right away. The other type of allergies are more gradual and subtle, and it's sneaky, and it's hard to identify. Listen to some of these symptoms that that other people say they might feel. Joint pain nasal discharge, headaches, tummy issues, and think about the medicines or the doctor's appointments or all the things that you might have gone through when in fact it could be a food sensitivity. The reaction can be mild or it could be extreme and it could be compounded for overusage. For instance, with gluten, if you have it just once or twice a week, maybe every four or five days, maybe there's not a reaction. But if you eat a sandwich every day, it could be very accumulative. And this way, mindful and intuitive eating styles can be super helpful by becoming aware of what foods and what reactions might be connected and why the elimination of a food might not be necessary, but the amount and when you have it needs to be addressed. And sometimes there's a cross-reactivity from one food to another, and it can be so confusing But rather than combining foods together, it might be better for you if you reduce food combining or rarely eat them together. Now, most of us eat the same 20, 25 foods every day, and it's pretty easy to identify the habits that we have with regard to certain foods. And over time, with diligent paying attention, you might be able to find out that there's a food that you could have once or twice a week and not have a reaction to it. Now, I'm so excited because right now I'm going to bring on a very special guest as a backdrop to the subject that we have already introduced. I met my next guest in 2006. Her name is Malia Smith, and we met because of her professional work. She works in brand management, helping people engage their audiences with messages that resonates, digital campaigns, and more. But Malia and I quickly connected on a much deeper sisterhood level. She has agreed to share with us today about her experiences with food sensitivity. Malia was diagnosed with a food allergy to dairy as a young child and as an adult discovered the sensitivity to gluten was at the root of many undiagnosed symptoms she'd suffered with since childhood. Specifically, Malia and I are going to talk today about navigating dining out and traveling because she also, on top of everything else, manages her brother's band at home and on the road. She travels a good bit 
And honestly, it can be extremely overwhelming to face a menu or a restaurant or even eating in someone's home when you just don't know how that food was prepared or how the ingredients were used or even if the cook understands contamination. So let's jump in. First of all, Malia, I welcome you today. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. I'm glad you are. I'm so curious because I work with other clients who have food allergies and sensitivities. How in the world do you navigate a social busy calendar and dining out? It's an adventure sometimes. Um, I try to think and plan ahead and do what I can with what I have, but not obsess. And so uh, it's a delicate balance of prioritizing Mm -hmm. without letting food rule my days. (laughs) I'm glad you put it that way because it would be easy for it to become an obsession. And Mm -hmm. because it's part of your lifestyle, it has to have attention. It has to. But like you said, you don't want to be overwhelmed by it. I want to talk about the dairy allergy first, if you don't mind, Malia. Sure. It's a little more straightforward. As I mentioned before, it is a class one food allergen. And um, it's it's a dangerous one for sure. Let's talk about that. It includes milk and cheese, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are there any other foods that have dairy in them that affect you? Or is it just milk and cheese? Also butter, anything made from cow's milk. A lot of times people think I can't have eggs because it's off. they're often sold in the, quote, dairy section at the grocery store. Right. Um, or they say, oh, well, that has mayonnaise in it. You can't have it. But thankfully, that's one thing I can have. But anything that comes from a cow's milk. Right. That's mm-hmm. funny because you're right. A lot of people think of eggs as dairy. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's because it's in the dairy case. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ex- had an experience where dairy was actually accidentally added to a food that you had? And could you tell us about that? I I know pretty much right away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, it doesn't have as dramatic of an effect because I have been careful to not bombard my body with it. Um, And so for me, my throat will start to catch. I'll start to cough. um, And instantly, I don't know how this even happens, but instantly I have, you know, just stuff coming out of my sinuses. I don't even mm-hmm. know how it, how it appears materializes yeah. instantly, but it does. And so I'll know right away. Occasionally like a, a latte is made with dairy milk instead of oat milk, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'll know right away by the taste, the smell, and then also my reaction. So being in tune with yourself has been really important. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't put it together and it was a small amount of dairy, you might just think, well, my sinuses are acting up when in fact it it was a a sensitivity to the dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, As a child, did it affect the choices like at school parties and events? Did you feel any different, the fact that you couldn't have dairy? No, it it actually was... It actually was pretty good as a child. Um, I never felt food was never a high control issue in my home growing up. And so it never became this thing. So I was very, you're very, very, you're very lucky, very Mm -hmm. lucky. What about smoothies and bars and supplements, you know, that have like hidden dairy and, and whey protein? 
Yeah, I can't do those. (laughs) (laughs) You have, again, that immediate response. Yes. And you're Mm -hmm. you're being very polite, but I'm sure you could, (laughs) you don't want to give me the details, but you're, you're, it's very obvious to you when you're like, this is, this is bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. More than just a runny nose. No. Well, (laughs) you know, if we're being honest, I, I, you know, tell my friends and family, oh, I have snot rockets again. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) I don't even know where they come from, but yeah, they're there. And my... Because my throat does catch and I get a cough mm-hmm. and it, it can escalate. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that I need to be careful and not not abuse that because right. it it does get worse over time. Right, so. right. And, and that's what I understand. Mm-hmm. And that was my experience. It get, gets worse over time. So here's an interesting theory because I've done quite a bit of research on this of like why this is happening. And I mentioned that in my introduction about the change in the last 30 years. And one theory is because of Western lifestyle. Um, and that is because we're so clean. You know, we have hand sanitizers and, you know, kids don't play outside and there's concrete everywhere, not as much dirt. Because you've traveled to other countries, what did you notice about food allergies in the developing nations? And maybe talk a little bit about like where you've been and what you've noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been in third world countries and in second world and first world overseas um, in what we would consider Western and non-Western cultures mm-hmm. and different climates um, and where there are different regulations on food, mm-hmm. um, if it's more developed or if it's less developed, where the food is more just straight old fashioned food, mm-hmm. you, you, what mm-hmm. you see is what you get. Right. So oftentimes for me, when I travel, it's actually more simple overseas um, Interesting. Because again, what you see is what you get. There mm-hmm. are less hidden sources and either the food source is straight out of someone's garden mm-hmm. right there, if it's a developing country right. or it's more protected mm-hmm. in certain more developed countries where I've been. So if you said in a third world country, for instance, that you can't do dairy, do they even have an understanding of food allergies? Yeah, they're very, they're very kind and very understanding mm-hmm. um, because hospitality is usually such a, a key element of uh, third world countries in mm-hmm. my experience. And so they want to care for their guests right. extravagantly. And so if they know that things made from cow's milk hurt me, they don't want to give that to me. Mm-hmm. And so you feel comfortable being able to share with them that mm-hmm. this is something that you just have to do to protect yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, we live um, in an area where uh, in urban settings, um, more than rural settings, that environment plays a role. So you mentioned second world countries and even obviously first world Western style countries. Have you noticed any difference in in those environments too? Like the number of people that say, you know, they can't have gluten or they can't have dairy or nuts or shellfish? Um, I've noticed less food allergies no matter where mm-hmm. I've gone. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Because I personally have only been in more developed countries where there's more strict regulation on food sourcing. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested also to hear what you about gluten sensitivity and your experience with that as well, Malia. So again, I appreciate so much you sharing this. And I know we've discussed testing for gluten intolerance. Um, And just so our listeners know, 
In order to test for gluten intolerance, you have to consume gluten prior to testing. Gluten is a really large molecule, and it passes through a very specific place along the lining of the small intestine. And for those that can't digest gluten, the results of ingesting it are extremely painful. And someone who is completely glucose, excuse me, gluten intolerant, typically has a disease called celiac sprue. There's a genetic mutation and gluten simply cannot be digested. It's that big of a molecule and it literally can rupture through the intestine. Because it's a specific disease called celiac, um, there can be no consumption of gluten. But now we see more of a, a crossover to sensitivities and intolerances. And sometimes the diagnosis itself does not even occur to adulthood. In my office, I've seen more cases in men than in women, and it can obviously be devastating if not addressed. So Malia, because you have the same response as another client I recently saw in the office, and and we laughed about this earlier. Mm -hmm. She said she would rather not eat gluten and not be tested than to take the test and suffer the result that she would have to endure. So tell me what you (laughs) think about this. I agree completely. Um, I don't need personally for for me, Mm -hmm. I don't need a label in order to know to listen to my body and know what makes me hurt. Mm -hmm. And so, and I have several family members who have been diagnosed celiac, Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't want to go through the process. (laughs) I'm glad you say that because since there is a genetic link Mm -hmm. um, and you have family members, I would encourage the listeners to think about that. If they suspect that, they might want to talk to other family members, Mm -hmm. even grandparents, aunts, uncles, Go back one or two, possibly even three generations and see if Mm -hmm. that sensitivity has occurred through other members within the family. So I certainly understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the point would be um, that how you avoid it and what is the response that your body has to gluten. So can you tell us a little bit about like how you came to that decision? Mm -hmm. Well, for a a season of life, um, I I just got sick and tired of feeling sick and tired all the time. And I hurt. Um, inflammation and joint pain is one of my major symptoms. And then also extreme pain in my side and other GI issues. Mm-hmm. And so I just was done, you know, mm-hmm. and just w- wanted someone to tell me what to do. Right. So I got help. And so mm-hmm. that was really a, an important part of the process. Um, and like I said, I didn't go through the actual testing, Mm -hmm. but I started to feel so much relief. Right. Um, and so that was, that was really, really key. And it started to explain symptoms that I'd had all along, like constipation Mm -hmm. from my earliest memories. Right. Um, and then going on through life, I actually had to do PT on my knees because my reflex cartilage was so inflamed all the time mm-hmm. that it was getting pinched. And I was literally walking like an old woman when I was in college Wow! because my knees were so um, bent. Right. So it just, it caused a lot of things over the years mm-hmm. that, that thankfully have virtually disappeared now. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason I wanted to talk to you about this, because as I mentioned earlier, and I hope the listeners caught that, that some of the side effects of a gluten sensitivity and any kind of a food sensitivity is joint pain, headaches, Mm -hmm. 
tough fatigue, you know, mm-hmm. just the feeling bad all the time. And so how many times do we do that? Where we, we look for every answer in the world instead of doing that intuitive work within ourselves to think, wait a minute, there's, there's something not working in my body and then trusting yourself enough mm-hmm. to be able to, to expand on that. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Would you say that because of the dairy and now the gluten on top of that, that eating out is like a high risk event for you? It's hard sometimes not to feel overwhelmed or feel like it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think initially, um, you know, navigating no dairy. Okay. You, you get that down. It's really kind of like a mindset. And so I think initially it's, it's very overwhelming and can be almost paralyzing. Um, or you look at a menu in, and it all sounds wonderful and it could be prepared in a way that you can eat it or it might not all. And you have no way of knowing without asking. And so I've just learned though, over the years to, um, to not let it be awkward because things are only awkward if for me, if I let it be. Right. And then I've also learned to keep conversations positive Mm -hmm. and grateful and thankful with people that I'm asking questions of. Right. Right. Because, um, I don't want to place a burden or an expectation on them. I'm just trying to understand and see if there's an easy option right. of something they can prepare for me. I'm glad you said that. And I love that you mentioned the part about like being sort of calm and not making mm-hmm. this a big deal to you. Because if you heard me mention earlier, the client that came in that had basically eliminated all food was so stressed out that the idea of eating anything that might cause her pain and suffering meant that her anxiety was already so high that even if a tiny bite of a food might not have hurt her, the experience was magnified greatly Mm -hmm. by her own anxiety over Mm -hmm. it. So I hope the listeners picked up on that, that you have accepted this as sort of like your march through life, that Mm -hmm. you are grateful to be able to know what it is and to ask things in a in a gentle way about mm-hmm. how food is prepared and that about butter. So it could mm-hmm. be like a lovely piece of chicken or something else. And they've, they've seasoned it with butter in the kitchen and they don't yep. even think to tell you cause they didn't use mm-hmm. dairy or they bread something, you know, mm-hmm. with some kind of a, 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 a breading that's got gluten. There are in so it. many hidden sources. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing is now that a lot of people, it's more of a fad now, right? And so a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, that's gluten-free. And I'm like, can you, now I have to pause. It's almost gotten harder now that it's a fad because people say it's gluten-free when it's not just because they don't understand. They're sincerely trying, Mm -hmm. but they don't know. Right. That's a really good point. And you would think that because it is popular, I was going to talk about that because it is popular, there's more gluten-free options, but it has become just sort of like a thing. So I could see that those that are really suffering with this are somewhat kind of packaged with the people that are on a, a diet craze. And that's not the truth for you at all. Um, I've got a question for you. If you were to eat in a restaurant, any kind of an establishment, and they served a food that hurt you, would you tell them? Would you go back or call or would you just let it go? It depends. It depends on the the type of service or if there's relationship or, um, if it was mild or extreme, Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately 
I would want to protect others from that experience. Exactly. So it's not about me being mad at them or um, trying to get revenge or, you know, talking poorly about someone else. Right. But it's really about helping them learn. And I think that a lot, a lot of this, especially with the fad and people thinking they're doing mm-hmm. things well, when they, they just don't know, but they sincerely want to, a lot of it is trying to help educate people right, in casual conversation without being patronizing or condescending and keeping it affirmative and grateful and thankful. So I'm like, oh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it doesn't have any like Worcestershire sauce in it, right? Because you know that that has gluten, right? You know, so you're like right. mentioning things and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And you they know? slowly take the plate back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it just really depends. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you as a nutrition professional that a lot of people have given up glutinous weight loss. Um, mm. there, and there is a gluten-free bandwagon for sure. And I think it's it's frustrating for restaurants because like you said, they can either tout we offer gluten-free as a way to bring in their, uh, bring in customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also could be doing it because it's a fad. And so they really do have to do special training. Mm-hmm. They have to buy special food. They have to have separate areas for preparation mm-hmm. of food. And it's a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. So do you think restaurants believe you if you say it needs to be gluten-free? Most of the time, yeah. Good, good. But you can tell when they don't. And then I don't quite trust them when they bring it out. Right. Because they kind of maybe roll their (laughs) eyes or they're like, oh, there's gluten free at table two. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So um, what else would you like to share with our listeners about your experience with this complicated yet common issue that that faces so many people today? I think another thing is eating in social settings where it's in someone else's home Mm -hmm. or where something's been catered. So I'm not talking I don't have the opportunity to talk to the waiter or the kitchen or, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another layer. And I think that that can feel really high maintenance when someone's inviting you to their home or inviting you. It's a little bit easier with a party or, you know, a group gathering Mm -hmm. because you don't have to eat, you know, or you can easily kind of navigate around to someone and figure out what you can have, if anything. Um, but when it's uh, to have dinner in someone's home, like mm-hmm. that's a very intimate, sweet, mm-hmm. wonderful thing. Right. And to then say, well, I can't have this and I can't have this. And right. that's actually hidden in lots of sources. But I've just found, again, by keeping things positive and going ahead and mentioning things right off the bat, like there's this dear, sweet woman who invited me and another girl who also has allergies um, so she just had the poor, you know, luck of the draw on, on asking us both over, um, for lunch <laughs> one, one Sunday afternoon and she wanted to make a big pot of soup. And so I said, thank you so much. Like, um, we both actually have allergies. I don't know. Like, and so she was like, oh, well, I'll send you a link to the recipe. I was like, okay. So I looked at it and it looked great except for, the spices and seasonings mm-hmm. because those can be quite suspect. Right. Um, but I just casually I was like, oh my gosh, that looks so yummy. Thank you so much. Um, would you care if I just sent spices home with your kids and then you could use these spices to make your meal like mm-hmm. however you want to make it because these are safe. Cause right. she did she just didn't realize 
you know, especially in a lot of seasoning packets and other things. So anyways, she was like, of course. Mm -hmm. And so because there's a mutual uh, respect and affection there, Mm -hmm. um, I just go ahead and bring things up. And I also usually offer, um, especially traveling with the band and a family wants to feed us Mm -hmm. a meal, um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and let them know. I don't mind bringing my own food. I do it all the time. It's not weird for me. And I'll just go ahead and have some things in a bag with me ready in case it seems a little shaky. Right. Um, and it's not a, it's not a, a hard thing to do. So I heard you say that honesty, being authentic, being grateful, and mm-hmm. as always being the kind person that you are, that that when you look at things honestly and not put them on the spot, but not put you on the spot either, it works mm-hmm. out well. I'm so grateful that you shared that because I think that's going to help our listeners understand that better and me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. For sure. Um, Food safety used to just be about foolage, spoilage, and contamination. Um, Today, it's about life or death. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. And allergens can kill people. Um, So I encourage you to share what you can with others. And sharing with our listeners today was really helpful. So thank you Mm -hmm. for being with us today. Absolutely. Um, Some suggest that you can improve tolerance by exposure. Again, I encourage your listeners everywhere to explore more in this topic and look for science valid studies and ask the right questions on your own journey. So this concludes our podcast today. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the Your Own Food Coach podcast. You know, we're all in search of answers, but it might just be the questions we need to consider, or maybe we're not asking the right questions. If this podcast brought up questions for you, I encourage you to talk to family and friends. And in this particular subject, a medical doctor and a nutrition therapist that specializes in food sensitivity and allergies is really important. I do offer virtual nutrition coaching sessions. I've worked with people all over the world. We'd like you to share this podcast and subscribe. And we welcome your comments. I'd like to send a special thank you to my producer, Brian Strickland and my brand manager, Malia Smith. Without both of them, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you. The information presented on this podcast is for the enjoyment of all listeners. It is not intended as either medical or medical nutrition advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical nutrition therapy, or treatment. Contact a healthcare professional if you are experiencing problems that seem health-related. Please contact 911 if you are having an emergency.